Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. So let's, let's begin to walk down this road of putting the pieces together of the puzzle, answering the questions that were asked of Jesus Christ, and let's do it in, in the realm of a timeline. And I know that there are two events in eschatology, okay? Eschatos is end times, okay? Ology is the study of, right? So eschatology is the study of end times. So eschatology is what we call future prophetic actions in the Bible that have not yet happened, right? If they're future, they haven't happened. But we got to clarify that they're prophetic future. Why? Is there future things in the Bible that have already come true? Right? So if we're in the Old Testament, we're looking at prophecy and say, well, that's in the prophetic future. What happens when we're in the New Testament? That's prophetic past, right? We have the fulfillment of it. So Jesus is coming as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in a town called the House of Bread. In the New Testament, we find a guy, a, a baby born of a guy and a gal, Joseph and Mary, but Joseph's not the father because he's born of who? Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. We sung about that too. We believe in the virgin birth. So the virgin birth makes it where Jesus doesn't have a sin nature. If Jesus doesn't have a sin nature, he's sinless. And if he's sinless, what can he be as a lamb? The perfect lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes sin on himself, imputed sin, and he imputes to us what? His righteousness, the transaction. We call that propitiation, right? He propitiated. We propitiated our sin on him. He propitiates his righteousness on us, and thus our accounts change places. And he who, knows no, who, he who knew no sin becomes sin for us that we might become what? The children of God. Sons of righteousness, depending on what passage you're in. So when we look at that, we know that there's a transaction. We're, that's why Jesus says what? You are bought with a what price? His blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness for sin. Thus the Lamb of God. So we understand Jesus is really trying to get across that he is the means by which people are saved. He is the one that's bringing salvation to men. And he is the one who is going to redeem mankind once and for all. Right? But what's the timeline for this? Wouldn't it be nice if God gave us a timeline and told us what the events were? Well, there are two events that get confused all the time. What are they? The rapture and the second coming. And today we are going to take both of those events because they're both covered in our text that we read in, in Luke 21 and, and in Matthew 24 a week ago. Both of those events are intermixed in the midst of our, our context here. But I want you to see that even if we didn't have Matthew 24, even if we didn't have Matthew 25, even if we didn't have Luke 12, even if, or Luke 21, and we didn't have Mark 13, we could still figure out the timeline, okay? What Jesus gives to us is not the only place it's given. It's given in many places. So what I want to show you today is where it is outside of those places, and then, Lord willing, in the weeks to come, we'll put it back in the right place, where Mark talks about it, where Matthew talks about it, where Luke talks about it. And then instead of seeing like this conglomeration of a bunch of events wadded up in a piece of paper and thrown out there, we're going to be able to actually see words on a page 
And we're going to see sentences and punctuation. And, and we're going to understand that he's telling us the answer to the questions at hand. It's not a chronological order of what's going to happen. He was asked three separate questions. And he gives the answers to those questions, but not necessarily in the order that we think it should be chronologically. And this is why, this is where a lot of people get messed up when they study eschatology. Because they'll look at Matthew 24 and 25, they'll look at Mark 13, and they'll look at Luke 21, and say, well, the rapture's at the end, not at the beginning, so thus we're post-millennial rapture. That's what it is. And this is where we get a lot of messed up theology today, okay? So we're going to take the Bible and say, what does the Bible actually say, Right? So I kind of want you to forget what you've learned in the past in some ways, but I want you to remember what the Bible says, okay? And I want us to take the Bible and I want us to go through here and figure out what does God give us the chronology of end times? And if he does, what's the significance of it? And what would the significance be to a church living in an age in which the birth pains are happening? Remember we talked about that last week. We saw all the five different characteristics of the end times. How many of them are in our time? Wow. All of them, right? But are we in the tribulation? And those five signs were given as marks for what time period? The tribulation. So if we're seeing the very things that the tribulation is going to have, what are the odds... We're in the contraction periods, the compressing of time that comes before the time. So we're seeing the buildup, the crescendo, if you will, towards the end time. I want you to go to Psalm now, Psalm chapter 2. How many of you saw this last week, all the, the rulers of the world getting together at the UN and spouting off, and you've heard Putin talk about launching nuclear missiles, and you've heard little rocket man wanting to launch his missiles now, and you heard uh, all these little... All these wars, and China's going to invade Taiwan, and if China invades Taiwan, the U.S. is going to defend, and, and how many of you have heard these things? So now the, the rulers of the world said, hey, we need to get together, and we need, to, we need to talk about this. And so they were all just at the U.N., weren't they? They were all just at the U.N., and they were all just talking among themselves about how they're going to fix the problems of the world. Anybody see that this week? Yeah, it all happened this last week. It's amazing. Look at Psalm 2 with me. Look at verse 1. Why do the nations rage? Are nation, nations raging right now? Is Russia screaming right now? Is the U.S. screaming right now? Is China screaming right now? Syria, Iran, are they screaming right now? It seems like all the nations are, are screaming, doesn't it? Why do the nations rage? And why do the people plot in vain? What were our rulers doing this last week? They were plotting what's going to happen in the future and the economies and how they're going to put sanctions on so-and-so and this and that, right? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord. And against its anointed. Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens does what? Who's laughing right now at man? God is just cracking up laughing in heaven right now. 
as we make our plans, as we are going to do what we're going to do, and we're going to, we're going to eradicate this, and we're going to get these people. I mean, Iran right now wants nothing more than for Israel to be gone. Right? And they're recruiting China and Russia to help get Israel gone. They want them gone. Syria, what do they want more than anything? Israel gone. What does Egypt want? Israel gone. What does Jordan want? Israel gone. What does Saudi Arabia want? They want to be friends with Israel. Isn't that weird to anybody? Think about this. The world is raging. The the leaders of our time are raging and plotting against God. They're saying homosexuality is what? That's good and normal. What does God say? They're calling evil good and good evil. What does God say? They're plotting out warring against God right now. Our governments are doing this real time. What David is writing about way back here in Psalm 2. It says, he who sits on the throne laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. These people are insane. They, They don't even know. They're not even thinking straight. And then he says this. Then he will speak to them with his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly what? Quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is a prophetic psalm. What time period is this talking about? The time in which the kings are going to plot against the Lord and God is going to hold them in derision. They're not going to be able to see that God is working. And in a moment, in a twinkle of an eye, he is going to pour his wrath out on them without them even knowing it happened. What what event is that? It's a tribulation. When the Christians are being plotted against and they're taken away, remember what did Jesus say? You're going to suffer persecution. Brother's going to betray brother and sister's going to betray sister. And and some of you are even going to die for what you believe. Pray that when this persecution comes, it doesn't come in the winter and pray that you're not pregnant and pray that you're not nursing and these things are going to come. Well, what nation is the object of Psalm 2? The nations are rising up against what nation? Hmm. Wouldn't it be weird if we saw that in our time? Wouldn't that have to begin to take place before it actually happens? Wouldn't there have to be an animosity towards Israel before these events would take place? And today you have nations plotting against nations with the intentionality of wiping out a specific people group that they don't feel belong to belong on the face of the earth, and yet there's one people group that God says, I will make a forever generation out of them. 
And sometimes we struggle when we read, this generation will not pass away before all these things be fulfilled. And we're thinking generation means Paul, means John, means those people. But what if the generation is the nation of Israel? And this generation will not pass away until what happens? What's fulfilled? All these things. What things? There's a taking away of the church, the restoration of God's people as Israel, as a nation. Romans 9, 10, and 11, right? Israel chosen, frozen, and thawed out. The generation then goes into a time period of great wrath and trial where all the nations of the world come against her. And at the moment of her destruction, at the moment in which it looks like all is going to be lost, who shows up? Who redeems his people? Who establishes his kingdom in that generation? The King of kings and Lord of lords. And I will be their God and they will be my... Makes sense all of a sudden. If the generation is Israel and Israel is not going to pass away, the Jews are not going to be extinct until all these things come to be. Well, then if we read Psalm 2 and we read Revelation and we read Revelation 5 and we read the the book of Revelation we read Jeremiah and we read Ezra and we read Daniel and we read all these other teachers Matthew, Luke and Mark we might have enough to figure out the timeline God just might have given us enough information and enough resources and enough truth that if we simply apply the truth he's given to us, we can figure out exactly what God wants us to know. Amen? So that bodes the question then, what is the next event to occur in the timeline of God in order for all these things to be what? Fulfilled. All these things, not some, not partial, all these things. And see, here's the problem with modern day churches. We put everything around us. We, we think the world is about the church today. Who has been God's people from the beginning? Israel. Who will be his people for all time? Israel, the Jews. Who chose them because they were the least of all people in the world? God did. Now, he grafted the church in when Israel rejected him. And we clearly see that taught in the Bible. We clearly see that God allows the Gentiles to be saved and he allows the gospel to go into the entire world. And then when the gospel goes into the whole world, what people group is it that sacks Jerusalem? Psalm told us here. David told us in the Psalm. The Gentiles do. Well, let me ask you a question. If the Gentiles are sacked in Jerusalem, who's living in Jerusalem? Not Gentiles. (laughs) and if the generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled, who's the generation referring to? See, we think generation, we we think of generation, we think of like years and time of a lifespan. And God is referring to a lifespan, is he not? Whose lifespan? Israel's, the Jews'. Remember the Abrahamic promise? What was the Abrahamic promise all about? You will be my people and I will be your... For how long? 
And what sided was that? Two-sided or a single-sided covenant? Single-sided. So when God made a single-sided covenant with Israel, he said, Israel, regardless of what you do, I will stay the same. My relationship with you is a love relationship built on my love, my holiness, my righteousness, not yours. And all throughout history, God has allowed persecution to come to Israel for what purpose? To purify them. So then, wouldn't it be logical if Israel is so caught up in the world, if Israel is so entwined in the world, and they are God's people, and they're missing the mark when it comes to spiritual things, what would God use to spiritually awaken them? Persecution. What did he do in the Old Testament? Persecution. What did he do? What's he going to do in the New Testament? Persecution. And what event would purify Israel, and what number symbolizes purification? The number seven. How long is the tribulation? Seven years. Could it be that God is telling us that after the church is taken away, that God is going to purify his people for his kingdom to come? Would that make sense? It, doesn't, it makes a lot of sense, right? And wouldn't it make sense that if the church is no longer in the world to evangelize the world, because that's what they're here for, if the church is no longer in the world evangelizing the world, then I ask the question, who's going to evangelize the world? And guess who it's going to be? Israel, his people. And does the Bible teach us that, that that's what happens? There's two prophets and then 12,000 from each what? Well, who has tribes? What tribe are you from today? What Gentile tribes are out there? There aren't any. So the Bible is clear that this is Israel. Israel is the object of the end times, not the church. We are taken away from the wrath to come. Israel goes through the wrath. Why? The church is going to get mercy because even though the gospel was not really for us, it was for who? Israel, and whose job was it to evangelize us? Israel's. Who failed? Israel. So then instead of allowing Israel to evangelize us, God used 12 apostles inspired and filled by who? The Holy Spirit to spread the gospel where? To the whole world. And the Holy Spirit is given as a down payment and a sealer until who comes? Christ himself. And when Christ himself returns, who does he take with him? Wouldn't it be great if there was a pastor that shared that with us? 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look with me at verse 13. And I love what the verse says right off the bat, right? So he's writing to believers. He's writing to the church of Thessalonians. By the way, Thessaloniki is still a modern-day city today. It's called Thessaloniki today instead of Thessalonica. But Thessaloniki, he's writing to the believers over there, and he says, first line, what, what does it say? I don't want you to be what? Ignorant, or another translation would be uninformed, or another translation might say, I don't want you to be un, uh, unintelligent when it comes to these things. So I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. 
For, since we believe that Jesus, for though we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, right, will descend from heaven with a cry of a command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and left or remained will be, here's the word rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, what? Encourage one another with these words. So my message to you today, hopefully is encouraging you. Because if God has worked out all these details and he's got this timeline and the things of our time are matching what's going on in the world today, then what are the odds that God is true? What are the odds that he can be trusted with the details of your life? What are are the odds he can be trusted to when you share the gospel with people and you're warning them of this judgment to come, just like the days of Noah, he was warning people of the judgment coming. And we're warning people, what are the odds that his Holy Spirit will give you the words to say? And he'll empower you to give the words and the verses that they need to hear in order to be convinced by the word of God, not by our craftiness and our cunningness, but simply by the word of God, that they would be convinced that what they're reading is true. Could God do that? Might that just be God's plan? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look at verse 13 again. But I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. We are given these things so that we're informed and so that we're confident that we know we have a God who loves and cares enough about even those who have perished before us, who have died before us, that there's a plan for them as well as those who are living. So whether we're dead or alive, God has a plan for the future. The future events of life are taken care of in the economy of God. So to this point, Paul wants to share with them something he had not shared with them previous to this. And there are some that are curious, what's going to happen after people die? Are they going to be left behind in the ground and only those that are alive when Jesus comes back will be be able to go with Jesus? Or is he going to take everybody? This is the concern, right? So, Paul begins to tell him what's going to happen. He says the first thing that's going to happen, verse 17, we who are alive and who are left are going to be caught up together with who? With them. Who's them? Well, verse 17 comes after verse 13, right? So the them in front has to, has to be in front of verse 17. So the ones who are asleep, those who have died already, the, the ones who are alive are going to meet the ones who are dead where? That's going to be the coolest airplane ride. To fly without the plane. So we're going to meet the Lord in the air, both dead and living. The Bible tells us in verse 13 and 14, the dead are going to rise first. Uh, Look at it here, verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So why don't Christians grieve when their loved ones die? I mean, we cry but we recover quicker than those who aren't saved. Why? Because if our friend is saved, what do we know? We're going to see him again. And where are we going to meet? We're not going to meet in heaven. 
We're going to meet in the air before we get to heaven. So the dead rise first. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with the voice of the archangel. So verses 13 through 16 tells us that those that are dead are going to meet us in the clouds. Those who are alive in Christ are going to join them in the air. Verse 17, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. We'll be raptured. That's the Latin word rapturo there. We'll be raptured. But then there's a fourth group of people that we see in the text. Do you see them? There's the Lord. There's those who are dead in Christ. There are those who are alive in Christ. And then there's the fourth group. Who are they? Those that are left behind. Those that don't make the trip. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, when it comes to those who are believers. For the dead in Christ are going to be in heaven. They're going to be in heaven with you. Those that are alive in Christ are going to be with you. They're going to meet in the clouds. And you're going to be with Jesus. But that also means there's a fourth group that is staying behind. They're not being raptured. They're not going to heaven. They're not going with Jesus Christ at this moment. They are staying on this earth for something in some period of time. Right? So we clearly see there's a fourth group that are left that are outside the church. Matthew 24 now. Let's go back there. Because this is a crucial aspect for why we believe the tribulation is what it is. And Matthew 24 is going to show us that there is a time period in which there are not believers on the face of the earth. The church is not on the face of the earth preaching and teaching the gospel anymore. But instead, there's a different group of people that are going to take over. And they're going to propagate the gospel. Matthew 24, look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken and then will appear in heaven a sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. Sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians 15, let's go over there. 1 Corinthians 15, it'll be on the screen here as well. Verses 50 to 54. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all be dead, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall it come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And what is the, what is the signal that changes the mortal for the immortal, the perishable for the imperishable? What is the sign that that happens? A trumpet. A trumpet. What trumpet? Which trumpet? We're getting a little more, getting a little more information. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Same promise that 1 Corinthians gives. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath. Who's he talking to? Thessaloniki, right? All the people of Thessalonica? No, the church of Thessalonica. He's writing them, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain, self, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's coming at the rapture to take his church? Jesus Christ. He's going to save them from the wrath of to come. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he is coming at the clouds, and every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Revelation 3.10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Let me ask you a question. Revelation 3 come before Revelation 4? Right? What did he just say here? I will save you from the hour of the trial. Right? The end of, verse, the end of chapter 3, going into verse, chapter 4, we see the saints where? On earth or heaven? They're in heaven. They're throwing what at the feet of Jesus? Crowns. And then after the crowns are thrown at the feet of Jesus, Jesus begins to unroll what? And the scroll has what on it? Seals. Okay? We're starting to build a timeline. We're getting, we're getting things that are going to help us see it. Revelation 19, look at verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire. On his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which strikes down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses, the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of... Is this the first time he's coming or the second time he's coming or the third time he's coming? Right? So we're starting to see, wait, he, he came in as a baby. He's coming in the clouds. He's coming on a white horse with an army. Is this all the same event? Or we got three different events here. We got three different events the Bible's sharing with us, but it's all the coming of Jesus Christ. He came the first time as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes to give what to mankind? Salvation. He comes the second time to save who? From the wrath to come. The church. And he comes the third time riding on a horse with an entire army arrayed behind him of saints who have gone before in white robes. By the way, when you go to heaven, you receive a what? A white robe. Jesus is coming back with his church, his saints that have gone before, and he's coming to Jerusalem, and all the nations of the world are gathered against what nation? And what's written on his thigh? King of kings and... And all the kings of the world are trying to take out his people. But Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until all this is fulfilled. There's three distinct stories here. So how do we know the difference between the first coming and the, or the second coming and the, the rapture? How do we know the difference between these two events? Are there ways that we can know it? I'm going to give you just four things real quick. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to unwrap all this stuff, okay? So I'm going to give you a lot here really quick. 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17 says, We who are alive and who are left will be caught up together and meet the Lord in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, right? So, at the rapture, believers are going to meet the Lord in the air, but at the second coming, the Lord will return to earth with believers already with him. Let me show you Revelation 19, 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on what? How many horses fly? <laughs> See what I'm saying here? It's hard to make the rapture of the second coming. It, it just doesn't... This is an army coming to save who? Israel. The Jews. Who's with him? The church. The angels of God are with him. He's bringing all of heaven to defend his people. His chosen one. This is the great tribulation period slowing down at the very end to where the armies have come around Israel and now Jesus Christ returns. He'll simply speak the words of his mouth and the entire world's armies will be destroyed. Blood will be as deep as a horse's bridle in the valley of Armageddon. This is, this is the story. This is where it is. The rapture happens before the great tribulation as well. The second coming happens after the tribulation takes place. Let's look at it. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God has not destined us for wrath, talking to the church, but obtained salvation through Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my word about the patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. If the rapture and the second coming are the same event, then believers will have to go through the great tribulation that Jesus said you won't go through. So we've got to ignore Scripture to make it work. Or we believe what the Scripture says, and it's exactly accurate to what's going to happen. Number three, the rapture will be instant and secret. The second coming will be visible to everybody. Matthew 24, 29, and 30, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then appears in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, but the imperishable. And we read that earlier, so you can read it again. Revelation 1.7 also says this, Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So we have a partial seeing, and we have an absolute seeing. Two different events. One's the rapture, the other's the second coming. Let me give you the fourth one here. The rapture can happen at any moment. The second coming cannot happen until after certain events take place. There has to be certain events before the second coming can happen, but there is nothing stopping the rapture from happening. So Matthew 24, 15 to 30. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken to the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let no one who is on a housetop not go down to take what's in the house and let the one who's in the field not turn back and take his cloak. Alas, the woman for, who is pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that the flight is not in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world till now. Has that happened yet? No. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, human beings would not be saved. That's a key word to understanding this, right? Who's being saved in the tribulation? 
The Jews. If God didn't limit the days of that purification, what would happen? There would be no one who would survive. Why? Because it's the outpouring of what? God's wrath. Is God's wrath holy? Is God's wrath perfect? Is God's wrath complete? So he limits himself here and gives salvation again. By the way, is that the first time we see God limit just wanting to destroy a certain group of people? Remember Moses? <laughs> I'll just destroy them all. No, God, you can't do that. It's against your character. That's not like you. Again, the tribulation. He wants to destroy them all. But he doesn't. What's he use? His mercy and grace, even in his wrath. You can go ahead and read the rest of that passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood are not going to inherit kingdom. Death swallowed up in victory. 1 Thessalonians 4 again. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. I want to jump to this one. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be... What does the Antichrist do? Has that happened yet? No. Future event. Titus 2.13, waiting on the blessed hope and the appearing of a glory of a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Has the church been raptured yet? No. Future event. The rapture and the second coming are the same event, but they're two different aspects of it. They are both the salvation of God's people. Are they not? When he comes in the clouds, he saves who? The church. When he comes on the horse, he saves who? The Jews. And he said to all of them, I'll never leave you, nor what? This is the promise we have from God. This generation will not pass away until all this happens. And by the way, does Israel ever pass away? Well, there's a new heaven and a new earth. So he's not talking about the land when he's referring to Israel, is he? What's he referring to? The people. God is a God of individuals. He is the God of nations, but nations make, are made up of what? Individual people. And God says to us today as the church, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you can be. I hate that translation, by the way, because it's not Ken. The Ken is in future perfect tense, which means like I can fly a plane, right? Does that mean I'm flying a plane right now? Does that mean I'll ever fly an airplane again? But I have the ability to do it, right? That's how English we think it can. In the Greek, that's not what it means. It means I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am currently, you will be forever. You will never leave my presence again. How about that for a promise? But remember at the very beginning when I mentioned to you that the rapture happens and there's three people groups, right? There's those that are dead in Christ, those who are alive in Christ, and then the third group. What is the motivation for the believer to share the gospel? Prophecy. When we understand what's going to happen in the end events, there is nobody that should not be motivated to warn people not to go to that place. Remember the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man lifting up his eyes, being in torment, says, Lazarus, dip your finger in water that, I, that it might quench the thirst of my tongue. And, and he said, what? 
Nobody can do that. That's not possible. We can't cross between the two chasms that are between us. We can't come to you and you can't come to us. And do you remember the request? Then send somebody from the dead and go back and warn them, don't come to this place. Well, who was telling the story? Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He came back from the dead. And, and he is telling us not to come to this place. And he sent messengers out into the world to tell people, don't go to that place. And he actually fulfilled the request of the rich man in the story. And we are those messengers. We are the days of Noah. We are Noah in our day. We have the revelation from God. We have the truth from God. What's going to happen? We know there's judgment coming. And Noah simply told people to believe and repent. Believe and repent. Are we warning people of the judgment that's coming? Because the Bible, we just read it, there is a judgment coming like no judgment's ever been. Like no judgment that's ever been. Now chew on that for a second, because the flood was pretty bad. The flood, I mean, only eight survivors. The flood was bad. But there's a judgment coming like there's never been. And if our friends and our family and our loved ones are not part of the dead in Christ, are the alive in Christ, they are the tribulation people. They will be that group that are left behind. And we need to warn them not to do that. We need to share the truth that's within us. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15. We should be concerned for the unsaved. We should be concerned for them because they're going to go through the great tribulation and they are going to be without. Think about this. They are going to go into the tribulation without the witness of the church. The church is gone. What restrains evil today? The presence of the Holy Spirit. When the church goes away, who goes with them? Because remember, Jesus is going to establish what? His kingdom with the Jews. And when the Holy Spirit came, who had to go away? So when he comes again, who goes back? And you know what? That's a desperate time. And it is God again empowering the Jews. The Holy Spirit is once again going to work through Israel to share the gospel with people. Just like he did in the Old Testament. Just like he did under the law. Just like he had before. It's a, it's a desolate thought. But guess what? Greater is he who is in us than... And who wrote the story? Who fulfills the story? Who empowers his believers? So go into all the world and preach. In order to have good news, what must there also be? Think about that. In order for good news to be good, there has to be bad news. And the bad news is judgment's coming. But the good news is you can be saved from the wrath to come. That's the message of Christianity. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is you don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity. There is a way, there is a truth, there is a life, and his name is Jesus Christ. Look to the lamb and live. Look to the snake and live. Remember in the Old Testament, the serpent lifted up? Look at the serpent and what? Live. Jesus Christ, when he was lifted up on the cross, gave life. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. I came that they might have life 
an abundant life for all of eternity. This is the message of the gospel. It's not church-oriented. It's a matter of fact, when the real gospel happens, he's going to pull the church out. Because the greatest news is Israel is not going to be destroyed when it looks like they're absolutely set for what? And when man is at the end of his rope, guess who usually shows up? Actually, that's not even good theology, is it? Who was there the whole time? It's the whole footprints thing, right? I looked, but there was two footprints, and then there was only one, and God left me even know you, you were being carried by Christ. And through our trials, who said he's always with us? He'll bring us through. He'll see us through. No temptation hath he given to you, then such is common to man. And you are able. This is the message we take with us into the world. We are not defeated. We're overcomers. We're, we're, we're already in heaven. So the question is, who are you bringing with you? Who are you going to bring with you to meet in the air so you can be with the Lord forever? Well, I'm going to do it to get my crown. Well, I hate to break it to you. You're going to throw your crown back. Romans 4, or Revelation 4. We do it because we want people to be saved from the wrath to come. What was Noah preaching in his day? Get on the ark. There's rain coming. What's rain? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Floods are coming. What's a flood, Noah? It's never flood in the history of mankind. Well, you know what? Jesus has been coming back for 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. And then one day, Noah got on the ark. God sealed the door. And who could get in? One day, the trumpet's going to sound. The dead are going to rise. The church is going to be raptured. And who's going to go with? It's the same story. God is the same yesterday, today, and so predictable. He's revealed himself to us, but it is foolishness to those who don't believe. We need to share with those around us. Judgment's coming. I, I shared at the beginning, David Jeremiah, the last days, in his own words, he's saying the same thing. Judgment's coming. The judgment is coming. The days of Noah are the days we're living in. This conference I was at, they're all talking about how we are living again in the first century church. There's so much religiosity in our culture and in our world today. There is the desire to be your own God. The Roman Empire is prevalent in the world today where the rulers are dictating what man's going to live like and how they're going to live and what God they're going to worship and what God they can't worship and where you can do this and where you can do that and what's going to shine brightest in darkness. Light. So let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father, which is where? There's the story. That's our motive for studying prophecy. And Jesus Christ is going to use these things in Matthew 24, 25, in Mark 13, and Luke 21, and he's going to motivate his believers to do something they never did in their entire life, nor did they think they had the power to do it. And you know what it was? Acts 2. They preached the word of God and thousands of people got saved. What's not happening in our world today? The church isn't preaching the word of God. They're teaching their thoughts. They're preaching moralistic, therapeutic deism. They're teaching TED Talks. But who's actually teaching the word of God today? We get a lot of, I think, I feel, I, I hope, I, I believe... But what does the Word of God actually say? And when we know what the Bible says, what does it do? 
It sets us free. I'm not in a bond. How many of you are afraid that the end of the world might happen tomorrow? I, I am not in fear of that at all. I can go to bed tonight and never even have that thought. Because what do I know for absolute truth? There's a thousand seven years left for this orb. For this rock curling through space. It's got a thousand seven years left in it. Why? How do I know this? Has the tribulation happened yet? How many years? Millennial rain happened yet? How many years? So what's a thousand plus seven? Those two are future events for this planet. If that's the case, is Putin going to set off World War III and all humanity is going to die? That sounds like the kings of the world plotting against us, if you ask me. That sounds like people trying to put you in fear so they can manipulate you to get what they want. And what does God tell us? He is not the author of confusion and fear. So what has he systematically given to us in his word? The timeline of the future events. So when you watch the news, you don't have to sit there and go, oh my goodness, we're all going to die by 2024. I guarantee you, the world's still going to be here. We might be dead. Maybe we get nuked. I don't know. Where's America in the New Testament? I see the other parts. But am I going to walk around and live in fear, or am I going to live in victory in the message that Jesus Christ has given to us? We are more than overcomers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's walk like it. Let's talk like it. Let's share the gospel like it. Let's live in confidence instead of fear. Let's live in victory instead of defeat. Let's go into all the world and permeate our light where it's dark. We can complain about how dark it is, but nobody wants to stick their light there. I know when I'm flying at night in an airplane and I want to find the airport, I can sit there in the dark and look at my map or I can click my microphone nine times. You know what happens when I click the mic nine times? Click, click, click. That's level one. Click, click, click. That's level two. Click, click, click. That's level three. When it comes to the airport lighting system over the traffic intercom. And when you click it nine times, you get the brightest setting. And there might be the darkest of horizon out there. But when that airport lights up, there is no disputing where it's at. It lights up like a Christmas tree at night. Blues and whites and reds and greens and all these colors. Like, there it is. Found it. Or I could sit in the darkness, fumbling around with my map, trying to read my instruments. Or I can just click it and there it is. Let's fly to it. That's how it works. And you know what? We can flounder in the world and watch the news and try to figure it all out. Or we can open up the Word of God and there it is. Click the mic. There it is. Boom. Right there. Now I know. So now I don't have to worry about Putin. Is Putin going to live a thousand seven years? I think we're in good shape then. Um, what if he's the Antichrist? What if? That means the rapture is going to happen like in the next 20 years. Because he's what, 70-something? Think about that. If he's the Antichrist, there's less than 20 years. I'm not going to worry about Jacqueline's college education then. But if he's not, I'm going to keep doing the work that God's called me to do. Because it's not about the timeline for us. We already know where we're going. The question is, who are we going to take with us? 
And are we going to live in fear and be paralyzed? Or are we going to live in victory and share the gospel with confidence? And this world is starving for real Christians to actually go in the world with the answers to life's problems rather than everybody shouting, the world is ending! And chaos prevails. Why do the heathen rage? Because they think they're in control, but they have no control. And the more they plot against God, what does God do? He systematically undermines what they're trying to accomplish. And when they get mad, who do they get mad at? Have you ever read the tribulation period and you wonder, how do their hearts just keep getting hard? I mean, things are happening in global proportion, and it's like, wake up! And they can't see it. Instead of getting right with God, what do they do? They blame God. They curse God. They go against him. They put their fist in his face. And you know what? We have the answers, folks. Let's share the answer. Let's share the confidence. Let's share what we know. And by the way, we use three passages today to really prove our point. We use Revelation chapter 4, chapter 4 and 5. We use 1 Thessalonians 4, and we use 1 Corinthians to go along with our passage in Matthew. That's all we did. It's not hard. It's, it's, it's right there in God's word. By the way, we could have gone to so many more, right? Did I touch an Old Testament passage yet? Man, wait till we do. Wait till we do. That gives the details. It's the background. It's the, it's the, the foundation layers. We're just building. We're playing up here, right? Wait till we get down here. And God says, by the way, this nation's going to do this. And that nation's going to do that. And this people group's going to do this. And man, when you see that happen in real time, guess what that does? That gives you, I got them. Gives me goosebumps. You know why? Who's in control? You believe in sovereignty? I do. And if God is sovereign, I got nothing to worry about. He's got it. He's got it. I got to be faithful. I got to be obedient. That's it. Can we do that? Maybe. Some of you. Time to wake up. By the way, what did the verse say today when we read it? Be awake, be alert, be on guard. These are the signs of the times we're living in. When the church needs to be awake, alert, and on guard, and we see these things happening outside the church, wait till we get to the things happening inside the church when Christ comes. The false teachers, the false teaching, the, the bad theology. Man, and when we put all this back together, and the three answer the three questions that Jesus was asked, it's going to give you goosebumps. Because there's nothing stopping the return of Christ right now. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that we can study it, we can know it. And Lord, this, the message is so apropos to our time. And Lord, we need to hear it. We need to, we need to be hearers of the word today. We need to be doers of the word today. And not just hearers, but hearers and doers. And Father, the time in which we live is a time in which all we've got to do is look around the room. Even Christians don't want to be in church today. Even Christians don't have time for you. Even believers with good motives are, are putting things in front of you that are more important in their eyes. And Father, the word says when we see a falling away of believers, it is another one of the marks that we're right on the precipice of your coming. And Lord, there was, there was times where it looked like the church was going to take off. 9-11 a great revival. COVID, really, really people got excited about wanting to be in church and, and, and all this. 
And then, Father, now that we have our freedom back, now we're back to normal, eat, drink, and be merry, for nothing's happening. And Father, you told us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And Father, there is a cheap Christianity that is alive today that doesn't know you and is not following your word. And Father, help us to understand the time that we live in. And when we see these things, we as true believers of you need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be sharing what we believe with those around us. We need to be saving them from the fire to come. And Lord, there is a fire coming. There is a wrath that's going to be poured out and fire and judgment that's going to be poured out on this earth. And Father, nobody would survive it except the days be shortened. And we know that's a tribulation. Then, Father, we know that the nations are going to rise against Israel and they're going to try to attack her and that that second coming, Lord, your son Jesus is going to show up on that horse and save his people from destruction. And, Lord, just as surely as these things are going to happen, we also know that you also are merciful, loving, and you want all to be saved. And you've given opportunity in the church age and you're going to give opportunity in the Israel age, the millennial the, uh, the millennial time and the tribulation for people to get saved and to follow you. And Father, even in the perfect environment of the millennium, we still see a falling away when there's absolute rule and absolute holiness in control. So Father, help us to warn people. Help us to be living like Noah in our day, warning those of the coming judgment to come for your glory, Lord. And all God's people said, amen.